0: Everybody, I wasn't. Is it daylight savings time? That is it right here? Daylight savings time is getting you because you're all time travelers. Yeah, I'm thankful for everyone that's here. Um, while we were sitting and singing, I felt really nervous, and when the line and rejoice, what was it, Jake? that when you struggle he will help you sing like do you sing over yourself i laughed internally like what am i what am i worried about i've forgotten in that moment who god is who i am what i'm doing why i'm here and why you're here i've forgotten i was thinking about myself it's not about me so i'm thankful i'm thankful you're all here it's a gift to be able to hear these things to be gathered together to embolden, rebuke, lift up, and come alongside your fellow believer. That's really the heart of what we're going to be talking about here today. So would you pray with me, please? Father, we pray that in in my own failings, my my prideful doubts, that your word would shine through and truth would pierce our hearts, that we could come to understand the words that we read as we pick them up daily, that they would change us from the inside out. Thank you, Father, for this gift, for your word, your presence, and all the people here. Amen. So have you ever worked with a person that does the same task as you, but differently? Uh, Not just methodologically, but really, really different. Uh, Same outcome, same goal. So give it a second. Think of that person. And who did you come up with? Keep that person in mind as we read today. Uh, My own example came in recruiting. I was a National Guard recruiter uh, for about five years in this area, if you don't know that about me. And it was the best and worst job that I've ever had. Uh, You had to put a lot of time in. Before uh, Bridget and the kids had moved back from Des Moines, uh, back up here, I was working uh, about 60 hours a week alone in my office and staying at my parents' house while we looked for a place. Uh, Not all productive, um, but a lot lot of hours. And I worked with a team all spread out over northeast Iowa. Uh, each of us assigned to a high school in this region, um, several high schools and, and colleges. Uh, we all had our own way of working, but the goal was the same, the outcome the same, enlist people into the garden. But that was plain and simple. My boss would say, what did you do today? And I'd give him a list, and he's like, did that put somebody in the garden? I'd say, no, and he'd say, stop it. And so I would do something different. <laughs> the way that we went about it, though, It was as varied and nuanced in style and mechanism as there were students in the schools and members on my team. We were the Northeast Titans, named by my first sergeant. We would have meetings where a number of enlistments and the general engagements in schools in uh, the month, over the last month, would have determined you to be among the best as the objective outcome for the enlistments and engagement amongst the group. Well, we would advise each other about the hows to reach that goal. And when this would happen in group meetings, the one who had the most success that month would stand to deliver their version of success and deliver it as a sort of moral ought. Like, do this, follow these steps, and you'll find success. Kind of like I did. Reaching the goal is what we're all supposed to be doing anyway. These other members, they were on our team. When they win, we win, right? Then why did their success, which was also the success of our team, it's obviously a good thing, why did it not bring me or any of us happiness or satisfaction? Why couldn't I celebrate, truly celebrate that other person's success? I thought about myself, my mission. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Was it because it wasn't my own? Am I that petty and small? Were all of us on our team, or any of us, it was a very fulfilling and frustrating time in my life. So we have our scripture today. So turn with me to Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 42, and I'll read it. Would you guys please follow along? Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him. Because he did not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by, by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So in the previous verses we'd been studying going through Mark and if you have read just before in Mark chapter 9 30 to 32 they'd just been told that their teacher the man who had then been coming to trust traveling around with was going to be delivered up to be killed then rise again on the third day. Our New Testament heroes the ones that Act and Acts, the men who penned the epistles are arguing about which among them would be the greatest. The greatest. Now, Jesus had just asked them what they were talking about. And I, I like when Jesus asks people questions in the Bible. You know, he's like, you ever heard somebody say, like, I ask questions for your benefit, not my own, so that person can learn? He knows. He's Jesus. He's God. And it's just so wonderful to think about. He knows the answer. But in some crude way, I think about when I corner my own kids on something uh, gone wrong or out of place in our house, I'm like, who did? And then insert glaring cover-up error plot thing, and they all start counter-accusing and, and whatever, and they defend themselves. But what's more telling is when they don't say anything at all, and they're silent. They know they're caught and can do nothing. The disciples here, this fight in the silence after questioning shows that they have failed to understand the lesson in Christ-like humility that they had just been offered in Mark uh, 9:30 to 32. So, upon hearing this, Jesus grabs a seat. In an interesting note, when we read here that Jesus sits to call his disciples over, is the way a rabbi of the day would have given formal instruction to his pupils. It is the position that Jesus busts out in verse 35. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be the last of all and servant of all. Christ knows your fallen nature, he understands how you're tempted how the disciples were tempted. They were tempted so, and discussed among themselves the inglorious topic of self-aggrandizement along the road to Capernaum. But in Christ's correction, he didn't say, and this is interesting, that it was wrong to be the best. It wasn't wrong to be the best. It's worth examining another time, and I encourage you to talk to each other about that proper placement in God's kingdom. But don't take this as permission to crush people along the way at work or at home. Glorious accomplishment is God's alone. Instead, Jesus redirects them to the proper way of attaining this status and the truest form of status is to be great in the kingdom of God, not the halls of men. At times in preparation for today, several teachers I listened to made the point of how frequently the Bible narrates in itself the terrible failings of the people who we are reading about. Like the terrible, petty, prideful argument captured in these verses. The heroes of the story do not have it all together. They have struggled to understand sometimes, just like we do. But Jesus breaks it down for them and for us. Even in preparation for something like this morning, when we all come and gather together, don't ever think for a moment that the people that come on this stage, myself included, up to Aaron, have it together. They don't. We're doing what God requires of us in obedience. Even if I'm nervous, upset that morning something happens. I'm doing what I'm asked to do. Don't think those people have it together. So in verse 35, in his formula, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. You see there that shall. It's an imperative. It's a thought. You will act like this. His instruction is short, pointed, and succinct. Perfect in this way, This is what we do in God's kingdom. They act like this isn't a feeling. It's something that they were told to do. And this is humility, as a side note to remember. I heard it said that when a person begins to feel humble, that is the very moment that you are not. And if they were arguing about piety and humility, they weren't. The leadership in the culture at this time... Would have been untouchable monarchs, unapproachable governors, and unrebukable religious teachers. Men who would have lorded over others, typically, in the worst possible way. The Twelve's understanding of greatness would have been partially through the lens that this environment provided. When time is taken to reflect on the nature of the examples in this world, they can seem quite perverse, especially compared with Scripture. Simple and coercive inversions of God's method for greatness. So Jesus had just grabbed a seat, and now he grabs up a child in verse 36 and 37. And then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Another point of cultural context here, and not to one's own children, the Bible provides for that, but children in general. In our modern understanding, we prop up children. Um, I've warned some people in this very room or even listening online against worshipping their own children as I had to be warned against worshipping my own. But in Jesus' day, this was not the case. Uh, Child mortality was high, usefulness was low, and their social value limited. They had no achievement, no ability, no merit, no power, no greatness. They were dependent and vulnerable to a fault. Does that sound like anybody? But here we look to see what Christ is doing. He picks up this little one and gives us a deeply meaningful object lesson. We see Christ drawing a line between these children and the believer, a child of God. As we often find in Scripture, the models of existence in the kingdom of God are not the models the world tells you are good. Verse 37, in the how you treat others, this is not well-wishing. This is what you do for other people. How you treat other believers is how you have treated Christ, for he dwells in them. Scripture feeds scripture. It informs everything that we read. So this lesson must rile up some emotions in John, um, you know, feeling, gut-wrenching John. And his response starts to bring today's lesson into focus. To verse 38. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us, casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him, forbade him because he does not follow us. So there are other people in the world, plain and simple. Scripture does not reveal much about the incident John is recalling here. But we know that it happened, if we don't know the specifics. Earlier we saw them arguing about intra greatness. I and mean, now we hear that this is not the first time that personal pride is on their minds. And this ugliness has extended out to genuine, miracle-working Christ followers in a different circle. And so this is of interest to me personally when I hear about these. We read the Bible and forget that the rest of history is still occurring. This specific narrative is to teach us something in particular. But there's other stuff happening, and it makes reference to it. Other people in the world, followers, that aren't left up high on some altar. They're just doing the work they've been sent out to do. This is incredibly interesting to me, the adjacent stories. Um, So when we first read this, I thought on Matthew 7. and, And maybe in reading this, some of you too would have thought here right away. With those who cry, Lord, Lord. But I want you to see here the comparison and why we know that this is legit. So in Acts 19, we have the sons of Sceva who are incapable of doing miracles. In Matthew 7, the phonies who do not do the will of their father, the important difference there. That's Matthew 7, 21. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, Matthew 7, verse 18. These two compared with what we have read here. And John says this other person is doing miracles. So turn back if you want to with me. To Matthew. 7.21, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's important. In 7.18, A good tree cannot bear fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. So what does Jesus say to them? And 39. But Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. Jesus says, stop it. Don't do that. This verse confirms the genuine nature of the true follower of Christ. I also forget, and, and I had when studying for this, about the 70 sent out. I have to go back and reread it sometimes. And Luke uh, 10 verses 1, and then he come, they all come back in verse 18, having telling Jesus when he comes back, like, we could really cast out demons. This is amazing. you got to keep that in mind when we read that the laborers are few. And there it is. That's today's lesson, our teamwork. The genuine workers that are in the world are not to be thought ill of. There is diversity in the kingdom. And for verse 40, for he who is not against us is on our side. It's very simple. But this draws an all-too-familiar line. Our team is defined this way. The people that we lean on and trust. You are either of God or against him. There is no middle ground, no impartiality, and the world is going to poison that idea. But it's very clear. Not nuanced or special. Straightforward. Matthew 12, verses 30. I go back again. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. It's really simple. This line drawn: "There are other men of God out there, and therefore are to be cherished. They are gospel teammates, coworkers, partners, family members. There's no competition with the members of your own family, of your own team, looking out into your own communities. Are we celebrating the thought and reality, the good work of the churches around us? (laughs) Let it be that right and true teammate and all the other gatherings of disciples in the area, places like Shell Rock and Waverly, Waterloo, Denver, Clarksville, Nashua, Cedar Falls, Tripola. Anybody else from any other place in here right now? Online if you're typing in the thing? All the places? Various communities, different in their culture and content, people, but in them you'll find individuals who know the truth and tell their friendly friends and neighbors. And that is a wonderful model of evangelism. The closest people to you. So we'll talk about rewards and then a warning. So verse 41. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Repeatedly reading things can bring emphatic understanding. If you read this over and over again, you can see that there's something done and something given. Doing the will of the Father in true faith and obedience is the point of aim here in terms of reward. It's our eternity with him. The world poses a very different set of rewards. I'm going to go back again. I should have marked these better. I didn't. If you know me, I don't plan ahead very well. Ask my wife. She's in the back. (laughs) Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, (laughs) before you, as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And our warning in verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. I've used this before to defend children, and I think it's right to do that. But it's in defense of the believer. Something more precious, even than our worldly understanding of how our own children are to us and should be to others. But I think it's, it's right to do that. I think first on pastors, though, and elders. And perhaps it's just where my mind goes, <clears throat> but the passage does not go there explicitly. It's just there, broad in scope and implication. It offers the painful death of execution by drowning. This is to the one that would cause a child of God, a believer, to stumble, to fall to be enticed or trapped, to be led astray. This person that does this is damned. It is clear and to the point Christ doesn't pull punches. You can almost see his face while he's saying it with much severity and seriousness, as I often forget to bring to a lot of Scripture, and I have a friend in here that does it really well, brings seriousness to Scripture where it needs to be. This verse brings an equal level of seriousness to our own evaluation of ourselves and the kingdom teammates around us that we are not aware of, or that are not of us, I'm sorry. Because we know these words are truth, when we see attendance at, uh, at grace go up, we celebrate, we engage. When uh, Denver Baptist has a, a prayer night or a vineyard church passes out food, we serve. When others begin to stray, we warn. In the obedience and to the glory of God, not our own. There's a powerful sense of unity in this teamwork and a realization that we don't struggle alone. That's comfort. There's a powerful sense of unity when it comes to our common vision of Christ. Let's be glad in our defense and the care of one another, even those whose services, whose teamwork, whose intentions, but the outcome is the same even though they look different than our own. Would you guys pray with me, please? Thank you, Father, for the gift that is this time, for the people that come to serve, that even serve from home, that send out do work, coordinate, schedule, plan, all the people for each elder, each teacher, each person that walks through the door that wants and yearns to know the truth. Thank you, Father, that the gift that this is, help us to not think poorly, ill of another person's not so glorious attempts to serve you. That is in the service that greatness is found and a model of what your kingdom provides and, and not our understanding of how it should look or feel. That your word would go out into the world and come back to you as prophet. Amen.